0: Good morning. We are, uh, I'm Wayne, I'm the Executive Director of Families for Families, as Trey said. here with my wife this morning, Kelly, and my son, Caleb. And uh, we're excited about being back here at Eagle's Landing. Um, I was uh, looking through my notes. I was first here in August of 2017. And so about six years ago. And so I look back and I wanted to um, look at kind of where you guys were and where we were back then to where we are now. And I just want to start this morning by saying thank you. Um, this church has been such a great support to our agency through date nights and through doing meals for families, and families have fostered here and families have adopted here, and uh, you guys have supported us financially. And so I want to say thank you um, before I start with that, because without church partners, we don't do what we do. And, um, and so I want to share something with you. So when I was first here in August of 2017, we had uh, just started and we had just placed a sibling group of three. So uh, we had three kids in care when I was here last time. Um, And so, I look back through our numbers, since then to the day, um, we've said yes to 703 children in six years. And so, um, I was looking through the numbers, I was like, wow, that's a lot of kids. Let me share what that means to us and to you guys. That means 700 times when DFAT's called our office, because of families like you, we were able to say, yes, we have a home for that child. I mean, 700 times a kid was in an abusive home, and the next Sunday, most of them went to church for the very first time. Yeah. It means that 700 kids heard the gospel that have never heard the gospel before. In the song that y'all just sang about, he's a good, good father, they got to experience that. And um, so over the last six years, we've been able to do that. We've opened six offices in Georgia. Um, and as of Friday, we've completed 92 adoptions of kids that were in foster care and that came to Dr. homes. And so um, I always get accused of beating up on churches, you know, and I was like, hey, this is a great church because I can share with you guys some of the stuff that we've done together. And so how cool is that, that um, we get to be a part of that. I know that there will be kids in heaven because of the support that you guys have done. And I love what Trey said. Um, we do all this. We've never charged a family a penny for adoption. They've never been charged. We don't charge for any of our services. We don't charge churches. Um, if you send us a check, we will not send it back. I will tell you that. But we don't charge them. We don't want to be, able, you know, because I believe this. At the end of the day, end of the day, finances are not going to fix our problems. Families are going to fix them. And uh, families are the greatest resource to fix our political system with foster kids and everything that goes on. And so I want to say thank you for what you guys do this morning. Um, And uh, we, this morning, I want to share with you a couple Old Testament verses. I want to look at a couple of facts um, and then share with a New Testament passage and close and then offer you guys a challenge. Um, I will say this starting out, um, there are five or six families here that have fostered. um, Several of them have adopted with us. Currently, at Eagles Landing, we have no foster families, and I'll share with that's not a bad thing. It means because the families that have gone in have ended up adopting their foster children they go out. And so, if we place 700 kids in 100 adoptions, one out of every seven kids that comes through our agency Mom and dad don't get things worked out, and they go to adoption. And so while there's a great influx of kids coming in and families coming in, there's also a huge influx of going out on the backside. Does that make sense? And so I want to share with you this morning what that looks like. I want to pray for us, and we're going to get started. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. I thank you for this church. Lord, thank you for Trey and for Bruce and for Jeremy and their leadership here. And, Lord, I pray today that as we talk about foster care and we talk about adoption, we talk about what's going on with kids in our state and our nation, God, that um, you remind us that we're never going to fix all these problems. Um, you had, were clear that we would always have issues. The poor will always be with us. But, God, we know that this is an incredible opportunity for evangelism. And, God, we know this is an incredible opportunity to expand your kingdom. So, God, I pray we never get caught up in the social work side of it. We never get caught up in, in doing this and making sure the kids have a good home and making sure that they're taken care of and they go to the right camps. God, help us to be caught up in the fact that these kids are in darkness and you give us a chance to put them in light. And so, God, I pray that that will be our focus this morning. I pray that's the focus of our agency, of my staff. I pray that's the focus of our churches that we partner with, for our donors that give to us, that this is about your kingdom and about expanding your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so go to the first scripture right here. It's in um, Exodus And so sometimes when we talk about foster care, and foster care is a government term, uh, people say things like, you know, there's this new problem with foster care, and we're not sure what to do with it, and that's why the church doesn't know how to deal with it. It was a new problem back in the book of Exodus, so it's been around for a while. And um, it's interesting that when when God's people fled under from Egypt, some of the Egyptian children went with them. And so they're in Exodus, and God tells them, He said, You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. And if you afflict them at all, and He cries out to me, that I'm going to hear His cry. And I love this passage. Um, It's also interesting, it's the first time in Scripture that we see the word widow and the orphan together. We see it also in James. Some translations translate it as the word fatherless and the word widow. Let me share this with you, and I don't want to talk about this this morning, but the widow and orphan are always together because of one reason they both lack a male protector. And this is what I believe Satan's goal always is. If he can remove the men, society will take care of everything else. And so in Scripture, if a child didn't have a father, he was considered an orphan. Um, but, and so all through Scripture, we see the word orphan. Some people use the word fatherless. It depends on your translation. But it's interesting. Um, I used to always say this when I taught this. I would say, hey, you know, and this was kind of like my opening point that was so good. It's like, hey, or I thought it was good. Maybe nobody else did. But so say, you know, in this passage, the government hasn't been established. In this passage, there was no Department of Family and Child Services. Does that make sense? There was no Department of Human Services. There was no defects. But in this passage, there also has not been established a church. Because in this passage, God's call was not calling churches. God's call was called believers. God's call was not to say, I go to this church and we do a lot. I believe the call was to individual believers and people that were called by the name of God, that he was calling them to step up. And I want you to be a father to the fatherless, and I want you to take care of the orphans, and I want you to do that. And so all through scripture, we see this, we see this passage, but this is what I want you to, this is not you hear me to say this morning. I, I believe the call, even in James, leans more towards believers than it does churches. Does that make sense? I don't believe it's just, hey, our church does this, so I'm good. I believe it's called it beliefs. The um, word for orphan or the word fatherless, the literal interpretation of it means someone without a guide. It means someone who doesn't have a guide or someone to guide them. So in the next scripture, right there, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking about, hey, I'm getting ready to go back to heaven. He says, I will not leave you as orphans for I will come to you. And you guys know he was talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm not going to leave you down here without a guide or a helper. When I go, I'm going to send my spirit who's actually going to be a better guide than me because Jesus, because of his humanity, he was limited to one place at one time. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he says, I will guide you in all things. And so now Jesus is using the word orphan. He's saying, hey, I am going to send someone to guide you. I'm going to send someone to help you. And it's the Holy Spirit. And he is going to teach you and he is going to guide you. Hey, this one say about kids. You got if you have kids, you know this. All kids hate being told what to do, right? But they all want a guide. They just want us to guide them where they want to go. And as long as you do that, you're a good parent, right? But if you give kids no guide, they begin to search for a guide. If kids don't have a male figure, they begin to search for one. If our daughters don't have a male figure, boys start showing up. Sometimes they show up anyway. But I was, um, several weeks ago, I got a phone call. On a Wednesday afternoon, it was one of our foster girls and she's 15 years old. And she had, tried to, um, she had tried to, she had made a comment that she wanted to take her life that day. And so she was at the hospital and I was at a church teaching that night. So I get to the hospital about 8.30 on a Wednesday night and um, she's laying there in the hospital bed, and her foster mom's there with her. And um, I walked in, and I'm like, you hungry? Nah. And I've known this girl for three or four years. You thirsty? Nah. I mean, you know how teenagers can do it. Nah. And I said, you don't talk to me? No. And I said, um, if I go buy you a milkshake, would you talk to me? Yeah. I said, Okay. So um, I left the hospital. I'm in Monroe, Georgia. Um, and it's like 8.52. There's a Chick-fil-A right down the road. I pull up at 9.01 to get a milkshake. I'm like, hey, I need to get a milkshake. We close at 9 o'clock. I'm like, listen, there's this girl at the hospital. We close at 9 I o'clock. I just want to say it was my pleasure, <laughs> but I didn't say anything. <laughs> I just drove off. And, and so um, I'm, I'm beginning to think, okay, this is, gonna, this is not. So I go to the... And, and I tell you this because I believe this. I believe that when you step into a ministry of orphans, that Satan steps in everywhere he can. And so, and so I go to uh, I go to the Burger King. Pull up there; they're open till ten. I'm sorry, we're out of milkshakes. I go to McDonald's. It's right across the street, like hundred yards. I'm the last person in line. I'm like, How, this this has got to be good. They're open all night, right? Sorry, we just had an altercation with an employee; we're closing. Like, okay, so I go to Checkers, and I'm just praying the building doesn't burn down before I get there. I can see the building, you know, and so I can. I'm like, I'm pulling up to the Checkers building, and I walk in. I'm like, Hey, I need a vanilla milkshake. By this time, I need two vanilla milkshakes because I'm stressed now. So they finally give me one. I come back an hour later, and she's like, What took you so long? And I was like, Hey, I, I got your milkshake. And she's sitting there. Of course, she's the police are in the room because everything's done, and she's not talking to anybody. She's not talking to our foster mom, and and I've known her for three or four years. And I said, hey, I said, got your milkshake, and you love these teenagers. She said, well, I would have talked to you whether you got me a milkshake or not. I was like, I just went to five stores for you, sweetie. <laughs> so um, I said, hey, what's, what's, uh, like, what's going on? I've known you for a while. And she says, well, um, and the little counselor in the room, she says she's not going to talk. And I said, and I said well, I, I've known her, she may talk to me. And so I said, what's going on? She said, well, 15-year-old girl, she said, you know, my mom and dad didn't want me. So I moved in with one of my relatives. They didn't want me either. So now I'm in a foster home. In our foster home, they had some issues going on with some work and stuff, and they couldn't foster anymore. And she goes, in that foster family, I'm not good enough for them either. And she said, why don't you tell me? why I should live. And I sat there for just a few minutes and I said, let me, and she didn't know this, but there was another home in the same church that was working through our process, which takes about four months. And I said, said her name. I said, can I tell you something? I said, there's another family that knows you already. And you've been visiting there on the weekends. I know you know who they are. And I said, "They they couldn't tell you this, but they love you so much. They've been working through all this paperwork to get done. And they had just gotten opened a couple hours earlier. And I had the email on my phone. And I said, here's the email. That's what you're getting ready to go to. And I said, and they're going to take your sister. We're going to put you and your sister back together. She was able. She had to go to a mental hospital for about 10 days. And then she got reunited with this foster family. Let me tell you something. When kids don't have a guide, it's not that they don't know where to go; it's they give up all hope for everything. This girl was at the end of her rope. I thank God there was a family in her church that knew her, that knew this other famous situation, and was able to step up and begin to help that girl. I want to. I'll, I'll share this later in a stat. There's there's over eleven thousand kids like that today in foster care in Georgia. And the worst part about it is not that they don't have a two-car garage, it's not that they don't have a boat, and a little pool in the backyard. The worst part about these kids is they wind up with no hope. And they wind up saying, you know what? If nobody wants me, why should I be around? And I could share with you this morning story after story like that, that happens week after week in all of our offices of kids. The best thing about being a foster family, the best thing about helping kids, it's not that you provide them meals, not that you provide them home, is that you provide those kids hope. I wanna share some facts with you this morning before we go through. You guys are familiar with the Dobbs decision in June of 24, 2022, when Roe versus Wade got overturned. And um, this has been a big decision. This does not banned abortion, it doesn't make abortion illegal, it just put it back in the hands of the states. And so something that we wish would have been done a long time ago, but it was overturned in June 24, of 2022. Um, let me just share this with you. It, the, I've heard so many believers say, hey, the work is done. The work, Trey kind of mentioned it, the work's not done, the work's just begun. Um, And it's one thing to go and protest outside of abortion clinic for an hour, which we ought to be doing, but it's a lot more to lay your life down for one child and take care of that child the rest of your life. I really believe this as believers. Henry Blackaby would call this a crisis of belief, but I really be as believers, this is my challenge to you guys. As churches, we got to find out, are we pro-birth? Or are we pro-life? Does that make sense? Listen, our government can give children a chance to breathe. Only Jesus can give them life. Only Jesus can give them life. And so we believe these kids ought to be born. They were made in the image of God. God has a plan for their life. So we've worked hard. Politicians have. They have worked. And so now we have, now we have a chance for these kids to be born. Now we've got to figure out who's going to take care of them on the backside. Next slide here is... Heartbeat law, Governor Kemp signed in a heartbeat law less than a month later in Georgia. And so I don't know if you heard about it. It was in six weeks, if they can take the heartbeat, we can no longer do abortions in Georgia. So we were all kind of like, woohoo. And after I got ready to present this this morning, it got overturned this week. Don't know Saba, a judge, overturned it in Georgia this week. It will be going to another court. It will be appealed again. So you guys can be praying about that as we see that, as we see what happens. In Georgia, 4334. I'm about to stop, 11,438 kids in foster care without a guide. So I'm getting ready to show you what this heartbeat law, the Dobbs decision, and what the effect that it could have on our Georgia ch- child welfare. In Georgia, 2020, 41,620 abortions in Georgia. Not the United States, not the Southeast, just Georgia, okay? So 365 days a year, we're doing over a hundred a day for 365 days a year. Y'all with me? If this law with abortion stays in effect, and I believe it will get overturned again, here's what's going to happen. We don't really know the numbers yet. Everybody has to guess, and hey, we'll it, will it eliminate all abortions if it's illegal. It won't eliminate all of them. People can go to other states. But I do know this. In the last three months, I've placed new, more newborns than I have in the last three years. Okay? So we're already seeing the effect of it coming into foster care. We're already seeing the kids coming in. But think about this if in Georgia, if in Georgia, there are 41,000 abortions, And let's just say half of them, it stops. And let's say another half of those end up going to a family member. Does that make sense? If 25% of the 41,000 abortions end up coming into foster care, it's 10,405 kids a year that could be coming into the foster care system. We've only got 11,438 kids in care. So if you take that and you put another 10,000, our foster care numbers could double within a year. And most people say this is the best estimate they can give. We don't know, it could be more, it could be less. But most people say that's probably the most conservative estimate that we have. Foster homes in Georgia, I know i have giving you guys some facts here. So in 2019, we had 7,510 homes in 2021 we have 4,650 homes. We've lost 38% of our foster homes in the last two years. And so when COVID hit, we had about 15,000 kids in care. That number started going down, okay, as kids weren't going to school, they weren't seeing counselors. Um, now that number, now that kids are back in school, that number's going up and our foster homes are going the other way. So in the last two years, we've lost about 38% of our foster homes. Um, only Wisconsin in the United States has lost more homes than we have, percentage-wise. Um, but we've lost that many foster homes. Hey, just to put it for this, there's 3,600 Southern Baptist churches in Georgia. Over 26,000 Protestant churches in Georgia. If every church had one foster home, there wouldn't even be near enough kids to go around. In fact, most kids in foster care are sibling groups of two and sibling groups of three, and so 10,000 kids or 11,000 kids right now may only be 5,000 families. Does that make sense? Um, because of the way the kids, because of the kids come into care. June 2022, I'm going to wrap all this up in a minute. Um, what happens, and so we've been able to say yes to 700 kids, which is really awesome. So what happens if kids are taken from our state system, and then they're taken and they don't have anywhere for them to go? So they call me and I say, I don't have a home for them, I don't have a home for them, I don't have a home for them. They stay in hotels, okay? And DFATS rents hotels all over the state, and the kids stay in hotels, and then once the kids, once they find a home, they go to homes. So in June 2022, and these numbers don't come out very often, but this is the last one, our state spent $3.2 million taking kids that had nowhere to go and placing them in hotels. So if you think about it, that, it's 36, 38 million a year. By the way, that number in the last 12 months has gone up a little bit every month. Some months will drop a little bit, but then it goes up. And so I was at a Christian conference the other day, and they asked me to speak, and they said, "Hey, we believe there's no unwanted kids; they're just unfound families." I'll I'll promise you, those kids in hotels last night didn't feel like they were unfound families; they felt like they were unwanted kids. Does that make sense? Here's the interesting thing: I was in Augusta a couple weeks ago. They're talking about this. So we keep kids in hotels. Our state does. They have to move the hotels every so often because the human traffickers figure out where the kids are and lure them out in the parking lot and they're gone. I want you to hear this. Atlanta's the number one city in our nation for trafficking. Eighty-seven percent of the kids in trafficking, and most of them are kids, come through foster care, which goes back to what I said earlier. If you give the kids a dad and you give them someone to fight for them, you take care of 87% of our trafficking in Georgia. 700 children will age out each year. That means on their 18th birthday, they become homeless because the state doesn't take care of them anymore. And they start, over half of our girls age out will put more than one child back in foster care. If our boys age out of foster care, they have a better chance of going to prison than they do, um, than they do graduate in high school. Most of them will wind up in jail, whatever. Let me share this with you. In the last six years, Every child that has been adoptable with our agency has been adopted except one With a family within our agency and so we have families that foster then they adopt We have families that foster and they may not want to adopt but another family within our agency steps up and adopts those kids And so just going into foster care just adopting these children stops them from aging out and it stops the cycle and so what I'm encouraging you guys with this morning is, I'm encouraging you just, just to take a step in that. 400 children, Atlanta Journal and Constitution just did a report on this. 400 children every year, now this is not part of the 700, it's another 400. 400 go missing every year and they don't know what happened to them. That's eight a week. Eight kids before you come back into church next week will go missing this week from foster care. They will be written off as a runaway within a couple hours by our police department. They won't ever look for them, and they'll be gone, and we don't know what happened to them. And so in every state has these same kind of stats with that. So that's my encouragement to you this morning. Um, here you go, ready? James one twenty seven says this. He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. One of the only places in Scripture where God says this is pure religion. And let me tell you why it's pure religion, because these kids are never going to pay you back. They're never, Uncle Fred's never going to come up and say, thank you for adopting my kid. That ain't going ha- to, only happens in movies, okay? These kids are always going to cost you something. And so pure and undefiled religion, so I've got our fathers, this is to visit the, um, the orphans and the widows. So the orphans and the widows are there together again in their distress and to keep yourself unstained from the world. Now, we read this passage, and this is a passage that we always read, and we're like, hey, Man, that's a great verse. You guys know in chapter 1 of James, where does that verse fall? Does anybody know Is at the beginning or the end of the chapter? It's the last verse in the chapter, right? And so we kind of put a period behind that verse. But when the scripture was written, we didn't have chapters. It just kind of read the book of James. Does that make sense? And so we kind of put a period and say, okay, that verse is done. Now we'll read chapter 2 tomorrow in our small group. Here's what it says. Next verse says this, James chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in your glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For a man comes in your assembly with gold ring and dressed in clothes, and, <clears throat> and there comes in a poor man, and he goes on to pay special attention to the other guy Have you not become judges with evil motives. It's interesting because when he's talking about orphans, he goes right into holding your faith in Christ with personal favoritism. He goes right into, okay, here's what I don't want you to do. Here's what I, I'm asking you not to do. Don't think that because that's not you, you're not called to that. And so, and then the last part of James is, James chapter 2, verse 14, he's still dealing with the same passage. He said, what use my brother and sister is he says he has faith, but, um, but he has no works can that faith save him. And so this is a passage when you look at all, I, James is all about all the social issues. If you see the poor, you see somebody that doesn't have clothes, do food. And, and you don't do anything, can that faith save you? And he kind of goes into, is that saving faith? And, you know, I'd love to be able to say, if you don't foster, you're not saved, but that's not true. I don't think, don't take care of the homeless, you know. And, but, you know, I was, as I've gotten older, you know, I feel like some of these verses, I'm like, man, I just want to get up there and say that, you know. But I, a lot of my friends in their 50s are not nice anymore. And um, I don't know this, maybe not in Eagle's Landing, but churches I go to, sometimes the older people are not nice anymore. Um, and not here, I'm sure, but some of the other churches I go to. And, and, and so it's like we get to where we're just like, I just want to tell people, and I've been doing this so long, it doesn't matter what I say, and I don't want to come across like that ever. Jesus said something good. When he was in Samaria, he said this. He said um, in James 9.36, he said, feeling compassion for them. He said they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And he said this. He said, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. And I think if I could say anything to you guys this morning, it would be, you know, I'm praying that God sends workers into the harvest. Because there's 11,000 kids out there that need to hear about Jesus. And there's a bunch more kids that are on the way. You know... I love this when Jesus says, he says, I pray you send workers in the harvest. He didn't say, I need, we need more leaders. We need more influencers. We need more truth bombs. He just said, hey, we just need workers to go into the harvest. I'm praying that workers will go out. And so here's my next step for you. So go to the next slide right there. Um, and this is where I want to talk to you guys for just a few minutes about how you can be involved in what it looks like in foster care. And so this is our model that we got set up. Perfect. Um, and so if you guys know um, Heather Knight, she kind of helps us organize everything here, and she does date nights, and we need volunteers for that and everything. So what we try to do is this, and um, this is real simple. We have a foster family, and we have a banner team leader, and that banner team leader calls our foster family, and they're like, hey, what do you like? So some of you guys this morning, you're like, hey, I want to foster. Some of you guys will be like, I ain't never doing that, and that's okay. All right, and so these banner team leaders they help organize a team around this foster family. And this is kind of what it looks like. Number one is meals. So we try to do, um, starting in 2023, we're trying to do one meal a week for every one of our foster families that has a placement. Now, we've learned that meals and cooking and all that stuff is more difficult. So now it's all Uber Eats and DoorDash and gift cards, right? So we recommend $40, so we try to find families hey, would you adopt a family and send them a $40 gift card? You can buy them in a couple months' supply. And so they get a meal once a week for a foster family. We had a family a couple weeks ago. They don't have any kids. They took on four foster kids to get started with. I'm not sure why, but that's what they wanted. And that's what they got. And so we gave them six months' worth of Uber Eats cards. And he's like, I'm not going to need this. My wife and I, this is going to, we got this handled. Three days later, he called me. He's like, man, we used like four of the cards already. You know, And, and so... $40 a week, you support a foster family with meals. Here's another thing we need. Somebody just to call and pray for that family. Hey, can I pray for your bio kids? Can I pray for your foster kids? How can I pray for your marriage? Because it's tough and through all of that. And so they're just going to pray for them. You guys can email back and forth and we have a little form, help you guys contact. Respite care. So this is where kids can go maybe for a week, maybe for a weekend, maybe for two weeks. And so respite care, you kind of know when the kids are coming and you know when they're leaving. When you're a foster family... You just can't leave the kids with just anybody. Does that make sense? And so you get an approved family. And so they can keep kids for one family in the church, three or four families in the church, whatever they want to do. A Family friend. And so this is a great one here. Um, you can keep kids four or five times a year for two or three nights at a time with no, um, without going through our home study process. It's called RPPS, Reasonable and Prudent Pairing Standards. And so if you want to keep kids three or four times a year for a couple nights at a time, You can do that, and you can surround a foster family. Here's what's tough on foster kids. You ready? Foster mom and dad are there. They're taking care of them. They go away for the weekend, and these foster kids meet a new family they've never met before. Does that make sense? And so if they know a family within your church and they can go there, it's a whole lot less trauma on them than going to somebody they don't know. And so that's a family friend. A mentor is a babysitter. 18 years are over. We do a background check. We do a CPR first aid class. And so if the foster family wants to go out a couple times a month or whatever, they can stay and keep the kids. And this is a new one we're doing. It's a handyman. And so we have youth groups right now that are going around and cleaning the leaves up for our foster families. Um, we have a guy at Woodstock that goes and he, uh, he has a um, remodeling business, so he hangs ceiling fans and, and helps out with toilets. We're not asking like build a deck or paint a house or anything like that. Just something to help the foster family out. Maybe they get a kid, that's in a wheelchair and then the wheelchair ramp built. So just little things like that. Or maybe they found out they're getting three kids in an hour and a half and they need bunk beds put together. Um, So those things. And then we also need people that'll just help organize these teams and just be in in contact with a foster family. The last thing we want to do as a foster family is you get three kids one night and you have six people calling you the same night asking how they can help. Does that make sense? Because what you're eventually going to say is how y'all can help is don't call me anymore. Okay, so the banner team is the one that kind of calls the foster family, foster family talks to them, and they're passing out the information. And this is what we've learned. Statewide, over half the families go into foster care, quit within one year. You know what I mean? All the process they go through, over half the families quit within one year. We hold a 95% retention rate with all of our foster families, and it's because of support services that we offer through churches. It's because of things like this that work. And and, and so that's you guys. And so um, I'll get this in just a minute, but on December 4th at 1230, I'll show you a slide in a minute, we're we're gonna have an information session. And we're gonna come in and we're gonna talk to you guys about that what that looks like. And so I don't want you to hear foster and adopt and be like, I don't wanna do either one of those. I want you to hear that you can cook a meal you can, you, can do, you can pray for a foster family. And on that day, we're going to kind of break all that down for you guys and what that looks like. Hey, the last couple years, I'll, I'll share this with you guys. The last couple years, um, foster families, partly because of COVID and everything, have gone down statewide. Agencies have struggled. Faith-based aid, all the agencies have struggled. Several weeks ago, I was at uh, First Baptist Woodstock for Orphan Sunday. And um, we were sharing there and uh, Governor Kemp was sitting in the front row. I would love to think that he was there to hear me, but I think he was there because there we was an election a couple days later. And so um, we talked to the lobby afterwards and we shared some of this model there that Sunday morning. And he said, hey, call me this week. I want you to come down to Capitol and talk to us about how we can help you with foster care. And I thought, okay, whatever. And so um, the Wednesday morning, I emailed him. Hey, he said, so great to meet you. He said, I'll have my chief of staff reach out to you and, they called me and said, y'all be praying next Tuesday after Thanksgiving, we'll be at the Capitol talking to our state legislators about how churches can be more involved with foster care in our state. <laughs> and so I say that because it only works, it only works when we all get involved somehow. And let me just share this again this morning. I don't believe this is a call to a church and you go, hey, that, they're doing that. I believe this is called to believers. And I believe everybody can do something. And whether it's pray, whether it's cook a meal, whether it's be a babysitter, whether it's keep kids on the weekends or keep kids for a week or two, I believe we all can do something to be involved in that. I'll share this with you guys real quick, um, and it will be done. And so you guys know we were here a couple years ago, and we shared. And so my wife and I, my wife Kelly's here this morning, we adopted out of foster care. And uh, we adopted a little girl that was born and left behind a dumpster in Atlanta with five drugs in her system. A year later, mom had another baby, and she was in jail this time. And so we got a phone call for her 53 weeks later. That's them. They're 9 and 10 now. They're in your, they're, I guess they're not in your nursery anymore. They're in your whatever. I have one who's going to be in middle school next year. So they are 9 and 10 now. And so that's where families for families come from. So why this is what I do every day, this is very personal to me. And I know this. If we hadn't had the support of people around us, we couldn't have done what we've done. And I want to share this with, I know there's adoptive families in here because some of you guys have adopted with us. You adoptive moms and dads, I know the work doesn't stop. Sometimes it just starts. Those kids don't know you signed a piece of paper and all their problems and trauma just whoop when they're gone, um, they're still there. And so thank you for what you guys do in that, with that. So last slide here, information session, December 4th um, in room 106. I'm sure you guys know where that is. um, 1230, I will be back here with my wife, and we're going to be sharing with you guys. And so here's my challenge to you this morning, and I'm done. My challenge to you this morning is this. Whether you want to foster or adopt, just come and see what you can do. And I'll promise you this, that you can do something. And whether you take on a child or whether you help a family keep a child, It all matters, and it's all important. And so thank you guys so much. Hey, thank you all for your support with this church. Thank you for supporting us as an agency. Thank you for supporting the foster families that are in your church. And um, I know I saw the Tylers walk in this morning. I saw the Cassius here. I don't know if the Booths are here today. I know the Davises are here. Um, I know there's other families in the church. And so thank you for what you guys do with that. And I'm going to pray for us, and then... I'm gonna pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. And uh, God, I thank you for the kids that are back in that nursery right now that have been adopted through families, the kids that are in the youth group that have been adopted. God, thank you for adopting us and bringing us into your kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray. I pray that you will call workers into your harvest. And God, I pray on December 4th that there will be numbers of people that will show up and just say, I don't even know why I'm here. I just know I'm here to help do something. So, God, I pray that you'll call us. I pray you'll convict us. God, I pray you help us to see that that 15-year-old girl who wants someone to love her is our responsibility as believers. God, those kids out there that are being born right now that maybe a year ago they weren't being born, they're our responsibility. And, God, help us to understand and see that they were created in your image. you got a purpose and you got a plan for them. And, God, we can be a part of that. In Jesus' name.